Happy Thursday, everyone. I hope you have had a great week. I have a very special surprise for you on this Thursday. As any reader knows, books are better when shared. And I am so excited to welcome to the show my dear friend, Carla Jean Whitley, to hear what she has been reading lately. So let me tell you a little bit about Carla Jean. She is the author of three books. No, no, so impressive, Carla Jean. Like no, no time wasted in your life. You're not old enough to have written three books, but you have. And they are Birmingham Beer, A Heady History of Brewing in the Magic City, Muscle Shoals Sound Studio, How the Swampers Changed American Music, and Balancing Act, Yoga Essays. She's been a podcaster herself and is a teacher, a writer, an editor, a speaker, a multimedia journalist, but most importantly to me, she is my dear friend. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to get to talk books with you today. Well, it's not like we don't do this like every other Saturday at uh, our coffee shop of choice. We just, we are so drawn together by many things, but books is one of them. That is the truth. And it is exciting to get to share some of our favorites with your listeners. Yeah. So I don't even know if I've ever asked you this question because, you know, we don't often talk about our origin stories as readers, but, you know, when, when did you begin considering yourself a voracious reader? Has this been a lifelong pursuit for you? Ever since I learned to read, which was when I was four years old. Now I am realizing that that is not necessarily the age at which people learn to read, but a combination of my pre-K program and my mom's example as a voracious reader herself Mm -hmm. turned me on to words. And I'm grateful that I can barely remember a time before I knew how to read. One of my earliest memories is reading myself to sleep at night with um, the Little Bear series. Mm. Those remain a favorite that I love to give uh, children when they're small. And um, I still have those books sitting on my bookcase right now. And I Mm. still read myself to sleep most nights. Yeah, I can remember being a little kid and the punishment for me was always taking away my books. If I ever got in trouble, it was grounding and no reading. And then I eventually got a little light so that even after we turned the lights out to go to bed, I could turn my little light that I clipped to my headboard on so I could keep reading, And I, which I did into the night many nights. I can't remember a time without books as my companion and I'm so like you, I'm so glad I can't. So I'm going to share in a moment, a couple of books that I've read lately that I have really enjoyed, but I want to know you said, you told me offline a minute ago, you're on track to read a hundred books this year. That's so impressive. I don't know how you find the time, but what are a couple of books that you've read lately, fiction or nonfiction that have captured your heart? Well, this is tough because I, well, I finished three books on Sunday because I am fortunate to have a life that allows me to do something like that. I mm-hmm. literally spent Sunday in bed with books. And the best. Cats. The best. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the books that I finished this weekend was actually a reread of Writers and Lovers, a novel by Lily King. And mm-hmm. 
I loved this book as much on the second read as I did on the first, maybe even more. The main character is a writer named Casey. She has finished school and is waitressing while she works on her novel. She's also going through a lot of transitions in her life. She's 31, has recently moved back to the States from Spain where she was living with her boyfriend. Her mom has just died. She's working on that novel while also trying to figure out who am I? What am I doing with myself? And, you know, I think that's a familiar feeling to a lot of people in their mid to late 20s and as they enter their early 30s. And she's finding her way through that. I have a milestone birthday coming up a little bit older than that. And that also resonated with me as I'm counting down the days till 40 because I remember those feelings and I'm so grateful to look back on them with a stronger sense of self. Part of what I love about this book is you get to see Casey finding that stronger sense of self. And she's living out a lot of really difficult real life things, figuring out relationships, mourning her mother, um, a general lack of relationship with her dad for some particular reasons that I won't spoil, but the novel does get into. And yet it's a happy ending and not in a way that feels forced or saccharine. Mm. Um, it's just a really a beautiful, beautiful novel and something that as a fellow writer, I just found such satisfaction in watching her journey, watching her editing process, but also her success. So uh, let me ask you this, because you and I are both writers. So as a writer, do you find, as I do, that the more you read, the better you write? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I will admit to judging writers who don't read. Um, I don't know how you can do that. I don't think you can do it very well. You know, yeah. you might be able to, there are different types of writing. Okay. So maybe you're a pretty good reporter because you're so curious about the world and that's fine. You can uh, get by with a lot, but I think to be a great writer, which is an important part of the process of being a reporter to be great. I think you have to be reading other people's work as well. And I really enjoy reading a variety of types of work because seeing those story structure, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, essay, you get to learn a lot from the craft. Yeah. And, you know, I noticed you said this was a reread for you. How often do you reread books on your shelf? Because I'll be honest with you, I don't often do this, but I have been because I, I'm doing these yesteryear picks on Thursday three. And I want a refresh of these books I'm talking about. So I reread Tiny Beautiful Things and I just reread my yesteryear pick that I'm going to talk about in a moment. How often do you reread books? I reread several books a year. So probably five to seven books, depending on how much I read in a particular year. Mm -hmm. um, that does make some of my Goodreads statistics a little bit messy because sometimes I'll reread a book in the same year. Uh -huh. Um, and I have some thoughts to share about that later, but yeah, I really want to own things that I will reread or that I will use as a reference. So I do set a pretty high bar for myself when purchasing, uh -huh. but also thank goodness for libraries because I could not realistically buy everything. Oh, no, my entire paycheck would go to books. If that were the case, there was one time 
I think I told you this, where my library, my local library just thought, must have thought I'd lost it because I, I came for curbside pickup for 46 books mm-hmm. in one sitting. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah. oh, 46 books waiting here. It's going to take us a minute to get these books out to you. And so, and I devoured all of them. So, um, all right, let me share my first current pick. Then I want to hear your second current pick. So if you listen to Monday's episode, I had on Jean Becker. She's lovely. She was President George H.W. Bush's chief of staff for 25 years. So on the heels of that conversation, I found it appropriate for our first Thursday pick, uh, Thursday three pick of the week from me to be about President John F. Kennedy, kind of. So the book is called Kennedy's Avenger, Assassination, Conspiracy, and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby. It's by Dan Abrams and David Fisher. So Kennedy's assassination, of course, was never brought to trial. His alleged assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was killed by Jack Ruby just two days after Kennedy's murder in Dallas. And Ruby's rationale for killing Oswald, I don't know if you know this, Carla Jean, he couldn't bear making Jackie Kennedy go through her husband's murder trial. So he killed Lee Harvey Oswald. So the book examines the trial of Jack Ruby, which as the title states really is a forgotten trial. The book is really gripping and compelling. And if you're a history buff or at all interested in the Kennedy assassination, it's a good read. So that is my first current pick. Nice. Very I'm nice. so nonfiction. <laughs> this is why you we are. Need you. I, I say that all the time to you, Carl Jean. You're like, I know you're nonfiction, but mm-hmm. it, I, we need you here to round out the, the fiction side of the house because this podcast is so bent towards nonfiction. So what else are you, what else have you read lately that has just really tugged at your heartstrings? Well, I thought about coming in with an all fiction list because I know that you, you have a nonfiction bent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, I think the last five or six books that, well, no, I think six of the last eight books I've read um, were fiction. I actually probably read more nonfiction than fiction, but I do love to mix it up, especially when you and I are chatting. Yeah. That yeah. said, my second recent read is actually not fiction, but poetry. Ooh, I love poetry. Well, I have been growing an appreciation of poetry. I certainly have always been a fan, but I've intentionally been reading more of it during the pandemic in particular. When COVID-19 first escalated to a pandemic, turning to poetry felt like a really natural way to just find some beauty, to find something that felt somewhat stable Mm -hmm. in the world. And I've continued to delve more deeply into that. I am by no means an expert. I do not have an MFA. I am not a poet. And I think that's important because I think it's important to remember that reading doesn't take expertise. So when I talk about poetry, I'm just going to tell you what I like. It might not be what you like, and that's fine. Kind of like art. You don't have to be an artist to appreciate beautiful art. No, and you don't have to know anything about art. You just have to observe and react. And what speaks to you. Yes. So 
one of my most recent poetry reads is Sparrow Envy, a field guide to birds and lesser beasts by J. Drew Lanham, who is a naturalist, a, um, he's a scientist, a writer, and a um, poet as well. I read his memoir, The Home Place, last year, last summer, and have seen him come up in several different conversations during the past year because he is a black man who is a bird watcher mm -hmm. and certainly there were events in 2020 that yes circled around such conversations I remember so yes so Sparrow Envy is actually a reissue of this poetry collection mostly poetry a bit of prose as well and in it Drew is exploring birds nature beauty lesser beasts in the subtitle refers to everything besides birds. Um, and so on the one hand, it's a very beautiful exploration of the natural world. He is also a Southerner. He is in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy that lens out onto the world. But also as a Black man, he is sharing his particular lens on the world. Some of his poetry deal with things like racism and birding. And some deal with itemizing the number of police killings or number of the other killings of Black people. And it, getting to see his particular perspective on the world, um, it includes an essay about how to be a Black birder as well that really got a lot of traction after the some of the events in 2020. Yeah. Getting to see this his particular lens and to see it especially in poetry where the economy of words is so vital who it yeah. is at times breathtaking to get this peek into somebody's experience that had to be so thoughtfully crafted as well um he's not using tens of thousands of words to share these ideas he's using 200. you know a writing exercise that i do frequently is so brevity, whether spoken or written, is not my strong suit. I overwrite everything. It's it's a thing for me. And so I try to practice brevity in writing by doing a haiku. Uh, I don't mm. do it every day, but it really helps me tighten my writing because obviously I only have so much runway to work with in a haiku and I want to get my thoughts out but I have to really like you said the economy of words and so uh, poetry haiku or otherwise has always impressed me so much because they don't have a whole lot of runway to use their words to make impact and that's something as a writer I'm always working on. That's a great exercise and one that I think I'll borrow as well. Yeah, well, and what I've done is I have archived the haikus. And so it's, it's, it's kind of my journal of sorts and a very, just a very short truncated journal. And it's interesting to go back to certain periods of my life and read those haikus and, and how I summated so succinctly how I was feeling in what 15 syllables or something like that so yeah I would I would recommend that to all writers it's really helped me tighten my writing I love that yeah so my second peak this week is by one of my absolute favorite authors Malcolm Gladwell love Malcolm Gladwell he has a book that came out 
I believe it was in late April called the Bomber Mafia, which ties in with our, again, with our George H.W. Bush episode, because of course, President Bush served in World War II. So if you listen to Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, do you listen, Carla Jean? Do you listen to Revisionist History? Not consistently, no. I have listened to it. Yeah, so the last season, he has just had this obsession with General Curtis LeMay, whose bombing of Japan in World War II cost tens of thousands of lives, but ultimately may have spared more by avoiding a planned U.S. invasion of the country. So the Bomber Mafia is interesting because it started as an audiobook on the podcast and then came to print rather than the other way around as it generally is. So if you like Gladwell's cerebral style and are interested in history, it's a must read. He, I don't think he has a bad book. Have you ever read Gladwell? You know, I don't think I've read a single Gladwell book. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's, he, he makes you think he takes you there and I appreciate his, his, his writing. It's a nonfiction with a kick. I mean, it really, like, I, I just can't, I can't even think of my favorite Gladwell book. I like them all. So that's my second pick. So, okay. I know that this is an impossible question for you. I don't even know how you're going to do this. So obviously we're just going to have to have you back on again and again to tell us more of your favorite all-time books. But what are a couple of books when I ask the question, your all-time favorites, what are a couple of books that come to mind for you? Well, I pulled two off of the bookshelf Uh because when you teed this question up, letting me know what we were going to talk about, you know, I've told you before that I have a list of what I call my comfort books, probably eight to 10 books. So we can talk through all of those over the course of some episodes, perhaps. You will for sure be back because this just feels like we're at coffee just, this is what we yeah. talked about at coffee. So it's just interesting that listeners are getting a, a taste of that. But anyway, as you were saying. Yes. The, um, but I do have two all-time favorites that are actually both books that I have encountered in only the past two years. The first one is Late Migrations, A Natural History of Love and Loss by Margaret Rankle. It is. This one to me. Oh. Well, I have read it four times and it was released in 2019. Oh, wow. Speaking of rereads, this one really threw off my Goodreads statistics for 2019 (laughs) because I kept Uh rereading it and Goodreads doesn't know how to count that. So Margaret was raised in Alabama. She's originally from South Alabama and grew up in Homewood outside of Birmingham. And this memoir is really a short collection of essays, some of them as short as a paragraph, none more than a handful of pages long. And she beautifully weaves together her recollections of growing up, which involved a whole lot of playing outside. Um, She also was born, if I remember correctly, in the early 60s. And so she was coming of age on the heels of the civil rights movement in an area that was heavily affected by the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. But as a young white child, did not have a strong perception of that. 
So she delves into those memories, the things that she didn't learn as a child, and intersperses that with these observations of the natural world. She is not a trained naturalist, um, but a, a backyard gardener, um, really, she cultivates a natural landscape. She now lives in Nashville, and she often writes about how her suburban Nashville neighbors might not prefer her style of lawn keeping. She does not keep a lawn, mm -hmm. um, but really cultivates space to encourage the natural world around her. The book, as she's writing about these memories, the natural world around her, she's also writing her way through grief, through her mother's death, um, if I'm remembering the chronology correctly, her father died not long after her mom and her mother-in-law also died within all the short time frame. So she's dealing with love, grief, and the world around her. At one point, she observes that the life cycle could just as easily be called the death cycle because death is such an integral part mm. of everyday life. Um, it is moving and beautiful and truly my favorite book. I cried when I met her. And you I'm also, her. yes, I met her at the um, Southern Festival of Books in Nashville and really yeah. wept. Um, <clears throat> and throughout the book, there are also these beautiful pieces of art that um, I know, of course, listeners cannot see, but her brother is a multi-talented um, artist who has created these mixed media collages for the book. And one of my goals in life is to purchase a piece of Billy Wrinkle's art as well, because mm. I might be close to as obsessed with his work as I am with his sisters. Mm. They need to invite you to lunch at the family home. Yeah. I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> Putting it out there in the universe. <laughs> well, my yesteryear pick, and then I want to hear another book that um, is just one of your all times. So I'm going to throw in a yesteryear pick. We didn't last week because I threw in a couple beach reads, uh, fiction picks, but mine is Katie Couric's The Best Advice I Ever Got, Lessons from Extraordinary Lives. So this book touched me so much when I read it that I've actually used it as a blueprint for the college leadership class that I used to teach. And in this book, Katie gets advice from luminaries ranging from Madeline Albright to Maya Angelou, my favorite poet, Carla Jean, to Drew Brees, President Jimmy Carter, President Bill Clinton, Melinda Gates, the aforementioned Malcolm Gladwell makes an appearance, Ariana Huffington, Alicia Keys, Matthew McConaughey, Helen Mirren, Condoleezza Rice, Robin Roberts, Steven Spielberg, you get the gist, Meryl Streep, Barbara Walters, the list goes on and on and on. And I have just finished today rereading it again. I don't know how many times I've read it because I taught off of it. It was my, we started every class with, uh, with a passage from this book. So, I mean, this it's many times that I've reread it and uh, putting this out in the universe speaking of putting it out in the universe Katie has a memoir coming out this fall and my gosh wouldn't I love to get her on the podcast she is the reason after all that I went into journalism so that is my yesteryear pick 
of the day. And I'd love to round us out with another of your yesteryear picks. Well, and this is literally yesteryear as in like the one that just passed. Um, <laughs> Yours are more I recent. Think, I love that. Yes. And it's funny because, well, I guess I read it last year. It was published a few years earlier, but mm -hmm. prior to 2019, I had my go-to favorite books. They were To Kill a Mockingbird by mm -hmm. Harper Lee, of course, and that remains on the list, mm -hmm. and Looking for Alaska by John Green. Both Which I've novels. not read. We will talk about that at great length over coffee on Saturday. <laughs> Deal. But <clears throat> do I need to bring you a copy to borrow? Yeah, you do. You do. Okay, I'll do that. Um, I've read Fallen Our Stars, but not Looking for Alaska. I have feelings, but we'll save that for another conversation. Okay. Okay. Um, so those two remain my favorite novels, but I've been fortunate enough to read Late Migrations in 2019 and then Letters from Max by Sarah Rule and Max Ritvo um, in 2020. Mm -hmm. Literally, I walked into my favorite local bookstore and one of the owners said, you know, I think you'd really like this book. I'm sorry to tell you that whenever she encounters a book that involves someone who dies, as she thinks of me, um, <laughs> I really like books where people die. Um, is is that for Alaska a book where someone dies? We will talk about Alaska okay. on we'll, Saturday. We'll talk about that later. This could, I could talk about Alaska for several hours. Mm -hmm. um, so. Letters from Max is a epistolary book, as the title would suggest, in which Sarah Rule, who is a playwright who was teaching at Yale, and Max Ritvo, who was one of her students at Yale, um, develop a correspondence. And the book documents their correspondence. Sometimes it is letters, sometimes it is text messages, but over the course of several years, when Max enrolls in Sarah's course, he is in remission from cancer, if I remember correctly. He had a bout with cancer as a teenager. While they have developed this friendship, he, his cancer recurs. Mm -hmm. And through their letters, they're exploring so many elements of life, writing for one, faith, family, love. And it is just achingly beautiful. I would love to read you a short passage if please, you don't mind. Please. One of the things that blows me over about the passage I'm going to read is that it is um, a text message that Max mm. sent Sarah. And I'm like, your texts are so poetic. Mm. How, ex what? Excuse me, what? My texts are not poetic ever. Well, I'm afraid mine are not either. So this is what he writes. Death doesn't seem so soon. It seems now, like I'm actively scribbling out the last pages. And while this is scary, it also brings home how little I have to figure out. God's an editor, and he's going to take this draft. The book is written. That's the part that means, that actually means life happened. That was a text message. I, that was a text message. Wow. <laughs> I mean, After I read that, I had to like close the book wow. and sit with it and then text it word for word to several friends because I was just like, 
Oh, and when I, when I knew that I wanted to share this pick with you, I immediately went flipping for that passage. It has been almost a year since I read the book and that sticks with me because it was so powerful, brave, poignant, and sad, but also somehow hopeful because it says something about the value of a life. Yeah. Wow. You might have to bring that one to coffee on Saturday. It is painfully beautiful. That's how I feel about tiny, beautiful things. It's so Mm -hmm. painful. I can only read it 50 pages at a time, which for me is nothing. And I just couldn't take it in larger chunks than that because it was like a really rich dessert that I couldn't Mm -hmm. go through too quickly or I would miss it, you know? And, um, we're going to absolutely have you back on the show. I, uh, I could get really used to this. So I just so enjoy spending time with you in any way I can. Thank you for being here and listeners. So glad to. Yeah. You're, you're just, you're such a delight and a joy in my life. And we will, we have coffee date on Saturday, so we'll continue the conversation, but listeners have a wonderful weekend. Email the show at hello I'd rather be reading at gmail.com let Carla Jean and I know if you've read any of these books what you're reading what you're loving right now and we will be back on Monday with an author interview you won't want to miss it's a very personal one to me so we will see you then have a great weekend